Good morning, fellowship. We're so thankful you guys are here to worship with us today. Will you stand with us as we begin our service, singing about the King of our hearts? Let the King of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from. Oh, He is my song. Let the King of my heart be the shadow. Have a seat. How are you this morning? Good. If you are brand new to Fellowship Bible Church, maybe it's been a while since you've been back in person, welcome. You are among friends, you're among family here, and we're glad that you are here. In fact, as I'm looking around, I'm seeing people kind of standing towards the walls looking for seats. It'd be a good time for you to move towards the middle. If you see empty green spots between you and the next person, 
slide toward them and let them know that, uh, that you'll be sitting side by side. Good morning to you. Hey, it's exciting times for us as a church family. Uh, things are changing here. Worship is changing here. Really for all of us, some of that is because Fellowship Bentonville will actually launch and open on April the 3rd for the first services there. So we're very excited about that. Also very grateful to you for the ways you and this body have made that possible. Uh, we will, by the way, have an open house for anybody at Springdale, Rogers, whatever community you live in. If you would like to see the campus on March the 27th between 5 and 6.30, our staff will host an open house for you. We'd love to have you. There are a lot of other dates about Fellowship Bentonville, way too many for me to communicate up here, way too many for you to probably remember. And so our Bentonville team is out in the center booth, the connections booth in the middle of the foyer, and has kind of a upcoming dates highlights on there for you. If you want to grab one of those handouts, we'd love to get that to you. But what that means for all of us at Fellowship Rogers, at Fellowship Bentonville, is that worship service times will change. And so on April the 3rd, all campuses at Fellowship Bible will begin to worship at 9 o'clock and 10.30. So if you come at 9.30-ish, like so many do, you'll be far later than ish. Um, and so 9 o'clock will be your worship time, if that's uh, your preferred time there. So 9 and 10.30, and you'll hear more about that. Men's retreats. Men, for those both in Bentonville and in Springdale Rogers, Take a look at the dates up there. You'll see April 29th for Bentonville, March, or May 13th through 15th for Rogers Springdale. Make sure you highlight those dates, and you can even go to Fellowship News to see more about that. But this morning, the ministry we want to highlight is has been special around here, and that's our special needs and uh, disability ministry. It's been special because it's a way that we've not only received or given ministry to those families who uh, are affected by disability, but the way we've received ministry from those families as well. And so we are grateful, and we want to highlight a few things. First of all, you've heard in the past, we've called that one-to-one -one ministry. We won't be using that name anymore because that ministry of special needs and disabilities has grown uh, so much. Um, it, it's no longer just a buddy system for our younger kids to be in a class with their peers. It's now grown from that, from a buddy system We'll still do that for our youngest to, who have special needs and need help, uh, extra help in that classroom. But we'll also have smaller structured classes for those with uh, disabilities. Uh, we'll have uh, 7th through 12th grade uh, groups for those who are older with disabilities. And then something that's near and dear to my heart, we'll actually have adults community groups for those with special needs and disabilities. That affects my family. My brother-in-law is a part of fellowship here and has a, a, a disability. And so he will have a place that's uh, a place where he can call home as well. If that intrigues you, we would love to see you jump in and be part of the lifespan of care. We do believe uh, that we need the ministry from those who are affected by disability, and we get the joy of ministering to those with a disability as well. Use the QR code there. Reach out to Morgan Ward here at the Rogers campus or Lauren Weatherly uh, at our Fellowship Bentonville campus to find out more. Hey, it's a joy right now to celebrate with the Mitchell family. And you could see this small family here tried to sneak up very quietly during my announcement time, and you didn't even notice them, did you? And I'm so glad that so many are here wrapped around Landry and her special time. Well, good morning. Good morning, Fellowship family. We are excited to celebrate Landry Mitchell. She chose a couple years ago 
to get baptized. And when my mom asked her yesterday if she was excited to be baptized, she goes, well, yeah. I told my dad two years ago, and he said he'd think about it. So, but uh, with all that's gone on, we're excited to celebrate such a full house, uh, Landry's decision. And so, Landry, is it your belief that Jesus is the Son of God? Is it your belief that Jesus came down to earth, fully human, lived a perfect life, and died for your sins? And is it your belief that he rose from the dead three days later? And Landry, does Jesus live in your heart today? And Landry, do you commit to follow him all the days of your life? Amen. Well, it is my privilege and my honor as your dad and now your brother in Christ to baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ in baptism into death and raised to walk in a new life. So good. And students, before you even slip back towards your classes here, would you hold up for just a minute? Thank you for jumping in and being part of the baptism with us. What is it that causes us to experience something from God when we come together in corporate worship? Because sometimes I think he has far more for us than we expect him to deliver. I think the key difference is whether we come hungry or come thirsty. In other words, come with an empty place that only he can fill, and we acknowledge that before him. When we come hungry and thirsty, this is his answer to us out of Psalm 36. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to us, your children, O oh Lord. Well, as we continue in worship, I want to ask you, would you just continue in that state of prayer? Would you just maybe bow your head even now? We're going to sing a familiar song for most of you. Um, and let's just pray this song together. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to give us eyes to see this morning, ears to hear. Thy presence, my life. 
Let's ask him for wisdom. And be thou my wisdom and thou my true word. I Church, since there is such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us this morning, so many faithful believers, people who have tasted and seen that God is good, walked with him in their lives. Just look around you for a sec. They're among us. So since then, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's just make that practical this morning. I want to invite you, bow your head, close your eyes. 
Take a deep breath. What are those things that are holding you back from living life with God? What's the sin that easily entangles you this morning? I know it just pops to mind. What I want to invite you to do this morning is answer the kindness of God that's leading to repentance. These things hinder us. They hold us up from real life, abundant life, real joy and peace and hope and all that fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that hold us back. And Jesus stands before us and he looks us in the eye and he says, give them to me, I'll take them. I'll take it. So give it to him this morning. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ my living Lord. Would you all stand with us as we proclaim? Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless
heard the gospel is but that's it that's what we just sang he's our living hope he brings real life I want to invite you to believe it this morning to receive Jesus for who he really is would you just receive him this morning he is such a generous God. Whether it be for the first time or for the first time in a while, would you receive him this morning for who he is? He's a generous God. Whew. I'm sorry, I'm pumped up. Is it okay to get pumped up in church? <laughs> I'm serious though. grateful to be with you guys this morning. Um, hey, often when we're, when we're worshiping, uh, you may have your eyes closed and you get the little bump nudge from a, from a wooden plate. Have you experienced this? The sneak attack offering? Have you experienced it? <laughs> okay, we're not going to do that this morning. I want to take a moment to just acknowledge what we're doing here. This is an opportunity for us to give back to God. This is an opportunity for us to worship. 
through giving. And it's a practice that we do together as well to train us how to be generous with people outside of the church as well, to just live open-handed with all that we have, acknowledging that it's actually not even ours. And so let me pray over our offering and then our ushers are gonna come forward and they're gonna take the offering. But let's pray it together using this prayer that's on the screen. I'll read leader, you read people. Are you ready to read and participate? All right, let's do it. Oh, Father, giver of all, every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiply the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely and not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord. Nothing we can give you can match your great gifts to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. You are the word of the one with God, the Lord most Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you make today about you? Would you guide us in our thoughts and our actions? And would you help us to forget ourselves just for a moment this week? 
that we might focus on you, your glory, your goodness, and that we might worship you in what we say and what we learn and in what we sing. We pray these in your name, amen. Well, Fellowship, hey, as you take a seat, I wanna tell you three stories. I wanna talk to you about a coach, I wanna talk to you about a neighbor, and I wanna tell you a story about a friend. You see, a few years ago, there was a junior high basketball coach, and he walked into the gym, he saw his team, and he realized pretty, click, pretty quickly that there was one boy in particular who needed a little bit extra help. And not just with basketball, but maybe in life in general. He looked around and he said, this young man really doesn't have any self-esteem. And he noticed that this young man really didn't know that he was valuable outside of what he could do, but just for who he was. And so the coach made a goal. He was going to welcome that player into the gym each and every day by name. He was going to encourage him throughout the practice and even at one point wrote the student a letter. And we might just call that a really nice coach. Just some small acts of kindness. But I would argue that those are profound acts of grace. You see, there was a neighbor who made it his goal a few years ago to cultivate a community around him. A community that actually cared and he did this. By de being disciplined to see people outside of himself, being disciplined to look up a little bit and say yes when people needed help and actually put forth effort to follow through on that yes. And he didn't just do this on Christmas and Easter. He didn't just throw a block party once a year and have signups in ways that he could help people. He just faithfully was aware of other people even on Thursdays. Just throughout the week, he was mindful of someone besides himself. And then there was a friend a few weeks ago sitting at a meeting. And as all of her coworkers got up and left, as the meeting was done, one person stayed sitting down. And this friend looked at him and said, hey, how are you? And the friend took a breath and replied and just said, I'm stressed. I just don't know what we're gonna do with these decisions we've gotta make. I'm not sure how we're actually gonna function over these next few weeks. And rather than trying to fix everything, this friend just listened. Rather than trying to downplay and say, hey, it's not a big deal, you don't have to worry about it, the friend just empathized. And we might call that common courtesy, but again, I would actually say it's a beautiful display of the kindness of Jesus. And that's what this world does. It's honestly what we do a lot of times. We downplay that which we consider in, insignificant. We say that God doesn't really work in the small things. He works through the important things. But I would argue the exact opposite is the truth. Jesus loves to work through that which we view as insignificant to bring about an incredible purpose. This is how the kingdom of heaven works. Because Jesus says so in the parable of the mustard seed. That's where we're going to spend our time today. So if you have your Bible, open up to the Matthew version. But you can read about the parable of the mustard seed in any of the synoptic gospels. That would be Matthew, that would be Mark or Luke. And we're given a beautiful depiction of Jesus describing and teaching what his kingdom is like. And he says his kingdom 
is like a mustard seed. Now, a few years ago, Sam Hannon taught this parable down in Fayetteville, and he actually took the time to buy a bunch of mustard seeds, thousands of them, because they're tiny, and he bought tiny little Ziploc bags, and he individually, I imagine his family did this, he individually packaged each seed to hand them out to people. I did not do that for you, but I did find a very nice picture, okay? It's way easier. Someone tell Sam we're in the 21st century. But this picture shows you just how small a mustard seed is. And that's what Jesus describes his kingdom as. If you were gonna ask me, Caleb, how does Jesus, you know, picture his kingdom, I would go, oh, like the waves of the ocean. It's an unstoppable force that never ends. Oh, Jesus would describe his kingdom like a lion. It's just kind of scary and you can't really tame it. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says that this is what his kingdom is like, that it is like a mustard seed. And I believe he does that for a reason. What I want us to do is I want us to try and unpack what Jesus is actually saying when he says that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom is like a tiny seed. Here's what I think he says. He points out that the kingdom is like a seed that grows. A man takes it and sows the seed. It grows larger. It becomes a tree and puts out branches that the birds of the nest can find a place to make, the birds of the air can find a place to make their nests in. Now, it's interesting to me that in every one of the gospels where we're told this parable, it emphasizes that this seed is small and it grows into a larger tree. Even in the Luke version, the shortest of the depictions, we see a tiny seed growing and becoming a tree. And I believe that's Jesus' first point. He wants us to see that the kingdom of heaven does grow. But the kingdom of heaven doesn't just grow. There's something else that Jesus is pointing out. And we'll look at it. The way this parable is told, the seed isn't just on the ground. We, we don't just walk upon a sprouting seed that is turning into a tree. No, Jesus describes human interaction within the story. A human has the seed and is actually sowing it before it grows. And that's Jesus' second point, that the kingdom of heaven is cultivated. Yes, he's in charge of that. Yes, he's the one who does grow his kingdom and is responsible to do so. But in his sovereignty, he allows us as humans to play a role in it. The kingdom grows, it's cultivated, and we can actually see that there is a reason that this mustard seed does change, mature, and develop. And the reason is so that the birds of the air can come and make their nest. There is a purpose to the kingdom of heaven. What I want us to do today is I want us to actually explore these three ideas. I want us to look at what growth means, what cultivation is, and what the purpose of the kingdom might look like. And then for a minute, I want us to reimagine our lives through this lens, through a kingdom of heaven lens, and I actually want us to think what that might lead us to do. So let's jump into this first one, growth. The kingdom of heaven does grow. And oftentimes when we think about growth, we think of it numerically or monetarily. We start thinking about compound interest or exponential growth. And the idea behind that is that bigger is better. 
The only problem is when we let bigger is better shape our understanding of growth, we're doing the exact opposite of what Jesus intended. Because Jesus' point is not that bigger is better. His point is that size is not the determining factor of something's value. He can make a mustard seed turn into a tree. He can take that which is insignificant and bring it to accomplish an incredible purpose. And I would even add that Jesus can work through the smallest acts to bring about incredible stories of peace and redemption. So what is this idea of growth, the fact that God is in control of growing his kingdom, actually mean for us? Well, I think it means that small acts of faith matter. I think it means that small acts of kindness matter. I think it means that small acts of compassion do matter. Maybe we could say it this way, that mustard seed sized acts of grace are important. But, you know, we're taunted by this bigger is better spirituality. It's like we can't get it out of our mind. We think that in order for something to be good, in order for us to treat people well, we've got we've to be faster, we've got to be stronger, we've got to be better, we've got to do it the best way. The best gift, yeah, it's the biggest gift. But that doesn't seem to be the point that Jesus is making. Jesus is saying that even small acts matter in the kingdom because he's the one who's in charge of ensuring that they come to full size. Let me just give you an example of this. I've got a, I've got a story about my mother-in-law. And as I say that, it's not that kind of mother-in-law story. I've got a great one, okay, so don't worry. But, but my mother-in-law, she worked as a parateacher in the public schools for years. And what she did is she would walk with elementary students, and she had one student in particular that she was with each year. So as he would go into the next grade, she would move up with him. And she loved this boy. It was really common for him to come to school with lice in his hair. Came from a rougher home, had a tougher upbringing. Each time that my mother-in-law would see that there was lice in this boy's hair, she would quietly escort him out of the room. She would take him down to the nurse's station, and in the nurse's station, they had the special shampoo that she would wash his hair with. They would use that comb that helped get the nits out, and she would explain to the young man what he needs to do in order to get rid of the lice, and then she would send the supplies home with him. The problem is, this was such a common occurrence that every time the boy would go home with the supplies, the family would just shave his head. And the boy had expressed to my mother-in-law that he was actually really embarrassed to come to school with a shaved head because he didn't like how he looked. And so one day as my mother-in-law found lice in his hair and she walked him down to the nurse's station, she had an idea. She knew that as she washed his hair later that day, it would be shaved, but she knew the next morning she was gonna do something. And so she arrived at school early, she waited at the door and she saw him step off the bus with his head down, taking each step, walking towards the school. Eyes to the ground, embarrassed, knowing that as he walked with a shaved head, it only proved once again to everybody that he had lice, embarrassed with his head down, knowing that he didn't like the way that he looked. And my mother-in-law met him there at the door. She reached out her hand and lifted up his chin. And she looked into his eyes and she said, you look handsome today. And he began to smile. And they walked into the school building together. I can't tell you where this young man's at today. 
I can't even tell you that he's walking with Jesus because of her kind words, but what I can tell you is her mustard seed-sized act of grace that she offered to him is exactly what Jesus loves to build his kingdom upon. We get so concerned, though, that the way that we're offering grace to people is done just right. We get so worried and caught up that we're serving people in the perfect way or in the best way or that we're ensuring that we're serving people in a way that we can see the fruit. But because God is the one who's in control of growing his kingdom, we don't have to concern ourselves with that. We just get to be people who offer grace. And we get to be people who offer grace with confidence knowing that grace can't be played. This is a phrase that we use in our student ministry in fact, the Springdale guy cell leaders are probably sick of hearing me say, hey, men, grace can't be played. But it's what I try and remind them all the time. Be gracious with those that you encounter because grace can't be played. And what that is, it's a phrase that reminds us that grace is valuable because of what it is and how it's given, not because of how it's received. Grace is valuable because of the fact that it is given, not because of how it is taken. And we could use Jesus as an example of this. Jesus offers grace to this world in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And there are some of us who will turn away from that grace, who won't accept it, who will reject it. But the fact that some people might abuse, misuse, or turn away from the grace of Jesus in no way diminishes what he did on the cross. In fact, I think it only amplifies what he did. And in that same thought, we get to be people who offer grace, not worrying about whether or not everything we do is perfect, but knowing and trusting that God gets to do the heavy lifting. He's the one who grows the seed. We just get to sow it. You see, we get so caught up on a return on investment that oftentimes we just forget to invest. And if I can be really honest with you, sometimes I describe that as strategy, where I go, oh, I'm being strategic and in, in not investing in them. Yeah, because I don't know how they'd use my money. Oh, I'm being strategic and not engaging with them because they need to know that I disagree. But can I be really honest again? I call that strategy, I think it's selfishness. God grows the seed, man sows it. We get to be people who engage in small acts of kindness because God is the one who can grow the smallest seeds and we can engage in those small acts with confidence because grace can't be played. The third idea with kingdom of heaven growth is that it works over time. Jesus describes his kingdom as a mustard seed, not as microwavable popcorn. It means that he's willing to work in and through time and if I look at my own life, Jesus has been really patient with me. I probably need to be comfortable knowing that God is comfortable with time and bringing us to a place in his time. You know, I think this world needs a big dose of steadiness and patience. Those are kingdom attributes, and it's hard to find nowadays. The kingdom of heaven doesn't just grow, but it's also cultivated, and we get to partake in that cultivation. I will point out again, yes, God is in control of bringing about his kingdom. He's the only one who can do it, but in his sovereignty, he allows us to play a role. What I do love, just a side note, is in that Luke version, it says that the man sowed a seed in his 
garden. Now think about that for a second. When we first open up the narrative of our God, it starts with him in a garden cultivating a place for his people. And now as Jesus is describing his kingdom, he's welcoming them back into a garden where they can partake in the cultivation. What would it look like? What, what, what does kingdom of heaven cultivation mean for us? Well, I think first of all, it does require effort. We've said it over and over. The seed had to be sowed. Yes, God is in charge of growing it, but the human does have to sow it. And that requires effort on our part. And because it requires effort, it also means that it would require discipline. Anything, we know this. Anything that takes effort takes discipline. All of you parents who have been doing AMI days for these weird Wednesday snow days, you know this is true. My wife and I got a kindergartner and two younger ones. AMI for a kindergartner? It just doesn't work. I mean, those are the nights where we're putting forth effort and we're getting disciplined on what we're going to do the next day. The same is true when it comes to cultivating the kingdom. It takes effort. It takes discipline. But the beautiful part is when we exert spiritual effort and through the spiritual disciplines, that's actually the very way that the spirit of Jesus loves to cultivate our own heart. And I would also add that I believe the cultivation of the kingdom of heaven works best in simplicity. What does the seed need? It needs water, it needs sun, and it needs soil. It's not overly complex. My kindergartner can explain that to me. Cultivating the kingdom works best in simplicity, and I think there's some truth that this world just needs really faithful moms and dads. It needs really caring neighbors and friends, and it needs gracious employees and coworkers. Because again, God's the one who gets to do the growing. God's the one who gets to bring about an amazing purpose. We just get to be faithful in the simple. We get to be disciplined to be faithful each and every day, and we get to exert the effort to do so. I'd also point out that the kingdom of heaven has a purpose. Now, we could probably come up with a list of purposes for the kingdom of heaven if we talked afterwards. And so the one I'm about to give you is not exhaustive, but it's a list describing the purpose of the kingdom of heaven as I see Jesus describe it specifically through this parable. And what it is, it's a purpose that offers peace. The birds of the air actually find a place where they can make their nest that offers some reprieve from the outside environment. They find a place where they can make a nest that they can actually lay their eggs and provide for their young. The kingdom of heaven has a purpose of bringing others in who need peace and offering it to them. There's also a purpose of service. You might notice if you're reading this parable that it doesn't say the mustard seed exists to grow bigger so it can become a tree, propagate more seeds, and create more mustard seed trees. It's not what it does. Jesus actually says the mustard seed grows and becomes a tree so that, purpose statement, so that the birds of the air can come and make their nests. The kingdom of God exists to be a place of service and service not for one might get, for one, one might get in return, but just for the betterment of those around us. And then it has a purpose of rest. Again, the birds find a place where they can make their nest outside the heat of the sun formed by the shade that is given off by the branches. 
There is rest in the kingdom of heaven. And as I look at these words, peace, service, rest, that really just sounds like deep, true, Christ-like care. That's what that is. What, what, what if we actually let these words be a little bit of a litmus test for us? If the way that we're engaging with people is actually offering true care. Because remember, as followers of Jesus, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, part of our duty, and might I add privilege, is to care for those around us. People matter. So let this be a test for how we see if what we're doing is actually caring for others. Does the way that you interact with someone actually bring about peace in their life? Now hear me out, I recognize that peace oftentimes comes over time, that sometimes we gotta work through hardship to find peace, but does the way that you interact with others actually build peace in their life or just more turmoil? Does the way that you engage with those around you serve them for their benefit or do you do what you do in order to be seen? Do you serve in the way that you serve so you can receive credit? Do you serve hoping to get something in return? Or do you serve because you know you exist to glorify God through your life? And then the last part of the test would be to ask yourself, is what I'm doing actually offering rest? And when I think of rest, I think of hope. Is the way that you engage with your neighborhood actually a beacon of hope showing to people that in the midst of a fallen world, there is actually a savior who can bring about rest and peace now. See, this is what the kingdom of heaven is about, growth and cultivation and purpose. And just for a moment, what I want us to do is actually to reframe and reimagine our life through this lens. What if you put away your materialistic thinking, your utilitarianistic thinking, or whatever istic thinking it is that you had, and you put on a kingdom of heavenistic lens, and you asked yourself, what would it mean as a citizen of the kingdom to actually partake in kingdom work? Because fellowship, this is what I think it would mean. It would mean that we are to be people who help grow the kingdom. And you know the way that I think we grow the kingdom is by valuing the small. Now hear me out, there's two parts to valuing the small. The first is actually partaking in small acts of grace and faith, just like my mother-in-law did. Not waiting around to do something big, but just seeing the people that are before you and caring for them in a way that you're capable of. That we would be people who actually act, not just talk about acting. And then the second part would be that we would do just this. We would value the small. That we would ask the Lord to shape our heart to recognize that even mustard seed sized acts of goodness are things that God values and grows and turns into amazing things. That we would actually recognize the person who made coffee back there this morning did just as much as Seth who led us in worship that we would value the small to help grow the kingdom. And you know why I think that actually works? I guess the first reason is because I, I believe that's what Jesus is saying in this parable. But the second reason would be, do you remember that junior high basketball coach from earlier? His name was Ben Ambul, and he, he coached at Branson Junior High when I was 
a junior high student there, and the player that needed extra help was me. And the coach was right. I was struggling with self-identity and image and any type of self-worth. And, and I still remember the way that he would greet me. I still remember the encouragement that he offered me, and I still have the letter that he wrote me. And if I can be really frank with you, a few years later as I walked through the toughest season of my life, enduring sexual abuse, it was actually that letter that I got out of my closet and I read, and through his small words of kindness, the Lord reminded me that, Caleb, I haven't given up on you. You are worth something, and I can work in you. You see, the small acts that we offer to people are absolutely the things that Jesus loves to work through to bring about his kingdom. Let's be people who value the small. And then as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we would also be people who partake in its cultivation. And I believe one way that we can cultivate the kingdom of heaven is simply by tending to the seeds. Remember the Luke version says that the man sowed the seed in his own garden. We don't have to worry about being everywhere all the time. You can actually just take responsibility for what God has put before you. You can take responsibility for the seeds that God has given you to plant in your garden. Because hear me out, he has cultivated you to the point that you are at so that you can cultivate where you are at. It's easy because it's not overly complex. It's just faithfulness. And if, if we're thinking of ways to do it, as we get ready to launch Bentonville, as we get ready to relaunch Rogers, what about this? If you want fellowship to be a place that is welcoming to those who are new to Northwest Arkansas, that they might find a place of rest and peace and comfort and a place that demonstrates who Jesus is. If you want this place to be welcoming to those who don't know the Lord, then stop just desiring that to be true and start tending to the seeds. Wait at the front door and say hello to people who come in. If you want your family to know the scriptures, then read the Bible with your children. Jesus has brought you to the point that you're at so that you can tend to the seeds that he's given you so that you can partake in cultivating the kingdom with him. I think one thing that holds us back is we oftentimes ask, well, Lord, who am I? How could I do this? There's no way you could use me. I get it. I've done it. But I think we're asking the wrong question when we say, Lord, how could you or who am I? I think the better question would be, Lord, how will you? Jesus, would you just give me a chance to see the fruit? If not, that's okay. But Lord, I'm going to tend to the seeds in front of me, and I cannot wait to see what you do with it. We're also to be people who execute the purpose. And I think the way that we follow through on the purpose of the kingdom is to care for others. Now, I got an assignment for you all. As you get ready to drive home, as you go to lunch, as you sit with your kids, your families, your friends, or even just with the Lord, I actually want you to think through, what is a way that I can care for those around me? And I'm gonna make it harder. It can't be big and it can't be extravagant. Try and think of a way that you can care for someone around you in faithfulness with discipline and effort in the simple, in the day-to-day what is a way that you can care for someone on Tuesday this week? Because that's what the kingdom of heaven is about. I think a way that we can do that is listening. Being people who are empathetic. You see, this world is filled with a lot of parties and a lot of people 
who love to hear what they have to say, thinking that their answer is right. This world is not filled with many people who will empathize. It's not filled with many people who will serve by listening. What if we were people who just listened and empathized? That when our children are worried about fifth grade math, we would actually say that is hard rather than just going, it's fifth grade math, I don't have time for this. We actually would empathize with them. And when our coworkers are hurting, we would take the time to ask them what's going on. That we would actually know them and care for them. Meal trains are incredible ways to care for people. And what if we actually listened to our families, especially the hard ones, and rather than just ignoring them and downplaying them, we empathized and walked with them. You see, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we're to do these things. And when it comes to purpose, I think caring for people actually executes the purpose. One, because that seems to be what Jesus did in his life. Read the story of the woman at the well. It also seems to be what Jesus is saying in this parable, but I also believe that listening is an act of caring for others because you remember that friend from earlier. Well, her name is Amy Anderson. And as we finished up a meeting the other week, she sat there and she listened to me. As I just said, I'm stressed about these things. She offered me her time and her ear just for me to unload what I was stressed about, what we had to do that week. And all of a sudden, as she was sitting there listening, I could feel my anxious heart come to peace. I could feel my busy spirit find rest. And I walked away knowing that she had served me. Hey, you know that neighbor from earlier that we talked about? His name is Matt Archer. And I live down the road from him and I have watched him tend to the seeds that the Lord has put in front of him in our neighborhood for years. And he had a goal that he would cultivate a community of care around him. He's done it. By not just being a good Christian on Christmas and Easter, but by faithfully caring for those around him each and every day. This is what citizens of the kingdom of heaven do. They grow it, they cultivate it, they follow through with its purpose. What if this was us? What if we actually realized this was true? And what if we followed through with it? I actually want you guys to take a second and I want you to just, you can meditate on this idea, you can pray this idea to the Lord, you can talk with someone next to you. But think about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is a place of growth and cultivation and purpose. And for a few seconds, ask yourself, how could I do this? This is part of our goal as believers. This is our prayer for today. Father, would you enable us to be people who partake in the growth of your kingdom? Would you enable us to be people who help in the cultivation of your kingdom? Would you enable us to be people, Jesus, who bring about the purpose of your kingdom? Help us to value the small, to tend to the seed and care for others. And Lord, may we trust you to do the heavy lifting through all of it. We pray these things in your name, amen. Well, fellowship, hey, if you're needing prayer today, we have the Thompsons in the prayer room. They would love to meet with you. 
As you walk out, say hi to somebody. Tend to the seeds in front of you. Actually value the small and welcome someone today. We can do that here. If you're part of the legacy ministry, next week you actually will have a meeting. And if you're a small group leader at Fellowship in any way, let me first say thank you. And now let me invite you to a leader training that's happening in the, uh, in the family center. We love you all. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.